0: All right, um, so yeah, that is a little concerning. I did notice that we got more excited about food than the baptism that's That's not good, but I am excited about the food because uh <laughs> these these Guatemalans love to make uh street tacos, and I guess they have these grills that they bring out back and um and they just they're just blessing us by the way, because I was like, how much are we going to?" you know, pay for the food? How are we gonna do the reimbursement all this? They're like, no, no, we're just doing it as a gift to you guys, uh, as a thank you. And so it's a great partnership, this, this church called Potter's House, it meets on Sunday evenings. And it's, uh, actually the pastor is not Guatemalan, but he married a Guatemalan. And almost everybody in the church is Guatemalan. So I tease him that, well, we know who the real leader is in your, in your marriage. <laughs> But uh, no, he speaks perfect Spanish, and it's just, they're a great community. So they're not all coming, because there are a couple hundred we couldn't all fit, but they, they're going to have five people who are uh, being baptized, and so probably about 50 or 60 from, from their community will be with us, like friends and family of those getting baptized. Um, just a, a little thing about baptism. So we have five people getting baptized. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, That's a good thing. The Lord is still raising people from spiritual death. It's still happening 2,000 years later. Hallelujah. Um, If you were considering getting baptized but haven't let us know yet, um, it's not too late. So let us know. Maybe after service, look for me or Pastor John or go to the welcome table and just let us know. All that we would need to do is just figure out a time to sit with you. Sometime this week, um, or even after service today, for half an hour, four to five minutes, just to make sure you know make sure you have the right theology for baptism and that kind of thing. but it's not too late. so let us know we will definitely there's plenty of room. Uh, we're so excited about this service next week. By the way, there's uh, no kids' church during the three to five. We just want noise and craziness. We want all the kids in here. In fact, parents. I'm encouraging you to scour the toy chest and find the noisiest (laughs) instruments. Don't bring toys in, okay, but uh, bring instruments in, like if they have kazoos or what's that thing that we used to play in Catholic school, flutophone, what is it called? xylophones yeah oh yeah the little xylophone oh I have one of those so we'll probably bring in I have some weird instruments but what we want to do is when in the baptism tank will be right here when people come out of the the tank up out of the water we want the kids just to go ballistic and start you know banging their drums and kazoos and all that stuff so we're going to have them like probably up here and parents can be with them so it doesn't like get totally out of control um, but, <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they, they can not play their instrument, like, just while the band is playing. <laughs> we don't care. It's like, we just, it's going to be noise. It's going to be crazy. Dan Waz leading worship. Pr- pray for him, you know, because it's going to be like a little, you know, a little mosh pit of <laughs> crazy little musicians down here trying to get Dan off rhythm. But he's He's focused. He's focused. He's gonna do it. But I'm dead serious. I know I'm joking around. But parents find uh, little instruments. I just think it would be really powerful for the kids uh, to to be involved in this. Not to feel like, oh, I got to be quiet because this is the adult church. And just no. Let him let him come. Let him play. Let him run. Let him dance. Um, there's not going to be a sermon. We'll give a just a tiny intro uh, about baptism, uh, like short, short. But other than that, it's just going to be music and baptisms. And then after that, we'll just share a meal. Sound good? All right. I'll see you next week at 10 a.m. No. Okay. (laughs) No. No service next Sunday. Right. I'm just emphasizing that. Even though Shana did a great job. But, yeah, 3 in the afternoon. If you want to come early, you can. There will be people here setting up. I'll send an email probably this week looking for if people want to come like an hour early just to set up tables and do all that kind of stuff. We would love the help. All right, let's get into it. I got plenty of time. I'm the last thing happening. I have a lot of ground to cover today. All right, so put your seatbelt on or your mental whatever, you know, just get ready to absorb. You know, I haven't been preaching as much, so that means you're going to get like double, triple sermons and one, like my old pastor here, Pat Manzo, who I worked for for four or five years. Um, it, it was called North Providence Assembly back in the day. And so, yeah, Pat, I was just a, a, a puny little assistant pastor. And so they would only let me preach, you know, like once or twice a year. And it was like, wasn't one sermon that I packed into like 59 minutes usually preaching way too long. But it was like, this is my one shot. I'm giving them everything. <laughs> um, actually, I even, do you remember this? I even did the announcements and was fired from doing the announcements, pretty much. Because, like, uh, you know, I'm a preacher, you know, and you're giving me these announcements. And so I wouldn't just give the announcement. I would have to expound and, 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 and motivate uh, for each announcement. So it was taking, like, 15, 20 minutes to do the announcements. They're like, yeah, you're not, you're not doing that anymore. <laughs> But yeah, Pat Manzo, my old pastor and mentor. All right. Um, So we, for those that are brand new today, we're going through the book of Acts. It's a very long book in the New Testament, kind of a historical book that talks about uh, the early church, the exciting things that happened in the early church. So today we're about halfway through and we're at chapter 15. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there or an app on your phone. You don't have to. I think probably we'll put some scriptures up on the projection, but I'm kind of handling this uh, message a little different. Usually I give it a little intro. Um, I'm kind of giving a little more extended intro because I really want to give you a sampling of the New Testament and what the New Testament has to say, kind of the gravity that's given in the New Testament about false doctrines, false teachings, false prophets, and the like. Um, it's a huge theme in the New Testament, and it has more relevance today in our generation than than maybe any generation in the past 2,000 years, all right? So I I don't want to just jump into Acts 15. I kind of want to give this kind of backdrop to this idea of false doctrine. Now, if you're not sure what that word means, I mean, doctrine, oh, I think I have a definition here. Yes, I do definition of false doctrines, beliefs that are contrary to the Bible, distortions of the Bible, or diluted expressions of the Bible. Anything that misrepresents the message of God. Because at the end of the day, um, not just pastors, but really all of us, we are messengers, right? The Bible says that we're ambassadors of Christ. And so we are responsible as messengers to take that message as it is and not, you know, maybe put it in the language that people can understand. There's always a a need to kind of translate into cultures, but we can't bend it. We can't dilute it. We can't take out certain things that we don't like. We are responsible to just speak the message as it is. And so historically, for 2,000 years, and especially today, a lot of people don't do that. And so I want to show you in this message that it's not okay to do that. It's not okay to dilute the message or to take certain things out, to add things to it or subtract things from it. So here's just some sampling of the New Testament and what it has to say about false teachers. This is the, the these are the words of Jesus here, Matthew 7:15, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves." 1 John Chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Did you catch that? Many. Second Peter 2, 1 and 2. False prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Secretly, not always blatantly or overtly, but secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And it says, many will follow their sensuality and because of them because of all the false teaching craziness that happens in every generation especially this the way of truth will be blasphemed it's serious 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 now the spirit the holy spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, it doesn't matter if you can see that happening in Christendom or in our city or wherever. It's happening. That's what this verse is saying. Some will depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Second Timothy chapter 4 says this. This is Paul speaking to young minister Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Here's the exhortation. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And here's what I want to emphasize for the time is coming, and trust me, by the time we're reading this 2,000 years later, it has come. For the time is coming, and has come, when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth. Is that happening today? Yes. Itching ears. I don't, it's not, I don't want to hear that too much. I don't want to hear about judgment. I don't want to hear about sin. I don't want to hear about, like, I want to hear the fun things, the smooth things, like they said in Isaiah. Preach to us smooth things. We don't want to hear any more about this holy one of Israel. We want a, we want a message that makes us feel Good. Amen? Amen. Matthew 24, this is Jesus speaking. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And then a few verses down, it says, then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness, this is speaking of the end times, really, that we very well could be living in. Because of lawlessness being increased, the love of many will grow cold. Hebrews thirteen nine, just a short verse. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Jude Verses 3 and 4 in the first chapter is only one chapter. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Have you heard that phrase, contend for the faith? To contend for the faith, the essential message that was delivered to us. In fact, he even puts it this way, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, the, the, the original message that was given to the 12, right, by Christ, and that the 12 passed down to the early, the early Christians, it's the same message today. It doesn't change. It doesn't morph. It's the same message that was delivered to the saints. We have to contend for that. We have to guard that, preserve that. And then he says in the next verse, for certain people have crept in. There it is again, that idea of just like, sneakily, they look like Christians. They look like charismatic teachers. They look wonderful. They're saying a lot of nice things, Bible things, but distill it down, and it's, it's corrupt. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our master and Lord Jesus Christ. I like the NIV version better. It says that they change uh, the grace of God, the wonderful doctrine of grace, this wonderful, amazing grace, right, that we treasure and cherish so much. They turn that into a license to sin. Like, I got grace. I'm saved by grace, you know. I can do whatever I want. That's kind of the idea of that. Acts 20, Paul was speaking to uh, the elders in Ephesus, and he was about to leave, and it's a great portion, but I'll just give you two verses. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away disciples after them. And you see this idea of twisting things, distorting things, perverting things, because it's not like they're coming in out of left field with this just new religion. No, it just, it looks a lot like Christianity. It looks a lot like, they're quoting all kinds of scriptures. They're, Sound, you know a lot of what they're saying is actually good and accurate, but it's just a perversion, it's a twisting, it's a distortion, a dilution, a, a taking away, or an adding to. So it requires real discernment to see these things. I'll give you a few more. Second Peter three, there are some things in them, speaking of Paul's letters. this is Peter writing. And he's kind of talking about Paul's deep letters. Um, There are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable, here's this idea again, twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability. I'm tempted to expound on each of these, but I'm going to just keep moving. Second John chapter one verses nine to eleven. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. That's strong. Don't you love the book of First John? It's just okay. Um, it's just so blunt. And and clear. James is, or John uh, was one of the ones closest, of course, to, to Jesus. And he just makes these very blunt statements. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, what should you do? Well, I don't know. It's just a different opinion that they have. I guess it's a different interpretation of the Bible. You know, everybody's got It's so hard to interpret the Bible. Who can really know? You know, there's so many different interpretations. It's so confusing. You know, who can even figure it out? I mean, these guys have different interpretations. These guys, these guys over here. And that's a whole movement now today saying, oh, there's, you know, we don't really have the truth. All we have is our interpretations of it. And, you know, everybody has different. This is the postmodern world, right, we live in. But that's not how John sounds here. John says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him kind of accepts him or welcomes and, you know, kind of like, oh, that's fine. That's, you know, kind of tolerates that. Says this, takes part in his wicked works. Whoa, right? That's something to think about. In our generation, when even as Christians, right, we are so pressured just to just kind of, you know, love and accept and welcome everybody. And you know, of course, we do welcome every human being, just like Jesus has his arms wide open and says, Come to all. But we're talking about people who are bringing twisted versions of Christianity. We're called in this verse to not just, oh, fine, oh, why don't you get up and share? You know, and share your interpretation with the church. No, we need to be, especially as pastors, we need to be protecting the body of Christ. We need to be shepherds. That's what shepherds do, right? Shepherds watch over the flock. What happens when a wolf comes in? Imagine a shepherd that was like, yeah, that's weird. A bunch of wolves just came in. I'm going to go get a snack. (laughs) Right? Or, you know, they look nice enough. They look nice enough, the wolves, so let's just, you know, I don't know. I'm going to love them. I mean, they're creatures too. They're God's creatures too, so, you know, let's, let's just befriend the wolves, right? You know, see what I'm saying? Like, it, it's, it's a good metaphor because, no, that's not what good shepherds do. They will go after that wolf out of great love for the flock that they're entrusted to care for. Anyways, I'm not going to expound on each one. Galatians chapter 1. I am astonished. This is Paul speaking to the Galatian Christians. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, speaking of God, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Slash, and then he says, not that there is another one, I love that he put that in there. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, this could not be any stronger. Think about this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That is strong. I mean, let him go to hell. That's what he's saying. Then he says it again, the next verse. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Whoa. I mean, can you feel the the, the heaviness of that, the gravity of that? Like, don't mess with the message that has once for all been delivered to the saints. Don't mess with it. And this is very similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, this is Paul again, but I am afraid that as the serpent, this is kind of going back to the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from the sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, did you catch that phrase, another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, he gets on him. He says, you put up with it readily enough. See, it's this is tough because in our culture, of course, we it's vet tolerance is valued, right? And we feel that, right? We feel that from the culture. So we want to be the Christians that are just like, just tolerant of everybody and cool with everybody. We're just like the cool Christians that, you know, we just love everybody and no matter what they are, what they believe, even if it's like ravenous wolf. Oh, that's, you know, I don't know. They just see it a little different. We need to pray for them. And, you know, we're so, our compassion sometimes works against us. You hear what I'm saying? Compassion needs to be balanced with, with truth. And Paul's getting on him. He's you put up with this readily enough. And then he goes a few verses down. He says, "For such men, who he's talking about these false teachers, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Jesus. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves." As servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Again, just a little, let them go to hell. Let them be accursed. They They will suffer in eternity blackest darkness. I mean, I could give you so many judgment scriptures about, there is nothing more terrifying to me personally, and should be to all of us, than taking the sacred message of God, God's message, God's gospel, God's grace, and bending it to suit our own desires or to accommodate people or to get more money or to get more crowds to come to follow us and all that. Whoa, the greatest judgments are going to be on those who twisted God's holy word to suit their own selfish gain and purposes. You hear what I'm saying? God help us, you know? I mean, I I tremble thinking about that. Uh, So that's why you will always hear the truth in this church. 1 Timothy 1. This is the last one I'll give you. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Hold faith, contend for the faith, stay true to the gospel message, and also keep a clear conscience, a good conscience. So it's not just about believing the right things. It's also about living the gospel. And to them, belief didn't mean just, oh yeah, I agree to these, you know, 25 different points of the gospel and sure, I got it, you know. No, belief, is, it's, a, it's a full thing. You, you, you show your true belief by how you live. And he kind of emphasizes, emphasizes that here. And he says, by rejecting this, what? By rejecting holding onto faith, the true gospel, the message it was delivered to the saints, and by rejecting a pure conscience, some have made shipwreck of their faith. What a violent illustration that is. You know, can you can you can you picture that? I mean, I know we don't, it's not in our world, but back then, you know, they're traveling. Boats, ships, all kinds of things happening on the waters. And sometimes storms would come, and maybe there was a couple hundred people on a crew. And what would happen? You know, the storm would just take them away, and they would, like, crash against rocks. And the ship would be just battered and, and destroyed, and people would be drowned. I mean, it's a violent image, isn't it? This is what Paul's saying. Some people have shipwrecked their faith by getting away from the message of the gospel and a pure conscience. I don't know, sometimes I feel like we act like I, nobody's shipwrecked. It's just, you know, we act like, well, I don't know, they're just see it a little different. or there's, Yeah, they're not really living it out right now. They're kind of, you know, drifted away a bit from, from the gospel and, aren't really walking with the Lord, but, you know, they're still good people. You know, we just, again, it's that compassion. We just want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I don't think Paul would say that. I think Paul would say, no, these guys here have shipwrecked their faith. And it is serious. You know, this is happening all over the place. I mean, through the pandemic, we've watched it happen. Not just in our community, but in Rhode Island, I've watched pastors fall away. I've watched marriages break apart. I've seen adultery. I've seen people go back into their drug lifestyles. I've seen people fall into deceitfulness and lying. I've seen people just get way off into other weird teachings. There's so many weird teachings now. And they're just clever. You know, they're cleverly written and you can read them online and there's whole blogs and different things. There's so much out there that if you really don't want to stick with the gospel message and you don't really want to live holy, oh my gosh. It's so easy to find some teachers out there that will just agree with your whatever. Deception is what it is. You can find that, and this is happening. There's a twisting of the gospel. There's a diluting, especially in New England. I think more in New England, it's more about the diluting. You can go to churches right now. They're happening. I can, you know, we could We could take a tour of them, and we would go in, and we would listen to them preach, and you would hear almost nothing from the Word of God because they don't even believe in the Word of God anymore, even though maybe it's on the shelf there on their little altar or whatever, I remember one time I was in a church. I was, I was fine up to a certain point until they did communion. And communion was, I mean, they did violence to the sweetest part of the whole word of God, the whole Bible, is the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, right? This thing that Christ came and gave his life. And when we take communion, we remember what he did for us. And they just, I don't even know what they were talking about during the time of communion. But I could feel that thing rise up in me like, whoa. Up to that point, I was like, okay, this is kind of just dry and kind of dead and I don't, you know. But at that point, I was like angry. I felt stirred in my spirit. (laughs) All right, let's shift over to Acts 15. And I'm going to race through this and just give you some um, just a few thoughts throughout Acts 15, then I'll end with some practical advice. All right, again, just stay with me. Stay awake. If you can't stay awake, just slap yourself. Have somebody poke you or whatever, okay? This is only good. This will be over in like 20 minutes, okay? Just stay with me. I want you to hear this because this will, if, if you can get this in your heart, it'll have some keeping power for you. So when we get to Acts 15, the context is that... Um, you know, they're they're they sail to Antioch. If you kind of go a few verses into uh chapter 14, they sail to Antioch and they arrive together, they gather their church together, and they're just declaring everything that God has done, all these miracles that have happened, and how God has just poured out his spirit upon the Gentiles. Now, this is a big thing because for Thousands of years. It was like only the Jews, only the Jews. Even Jesus came primarily to to the Jews, right? And then God just blew, which was the plan from the beginning, but blew the door wide open and started pouring out a spirit on these Gentiles, these non-Jews. And so they're talking about that. But then we hit uh, chapter 15, verse 1. It says this, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers... Here's the false doctrine right here. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And these guys came with force and cleverness and Bible verses. And it was strong to the point where Paul says in a few different places, or the writers in Scripture say, that it troubled the gentile Christian. so here you were just this crazy gentile sinner and you hear the gospel and the spirit is poured out and you're filled with god and and then somebody comes along and says hey are you circumcised no no why oh you can't be saved unless you're circumcised what like where's that and they and they they, you know, the probably Jews had a lot more Bible knowledge, right? These are like new converts, these new Gentile converts getting getting troubled, getting confused about this. And so it's it was no small thing because it was really affecting the church and it was a false doctrine. I mean, they were really attacking the simplicity of the gospel, right? We're saved by grace. We're saved as a gift by what Jesus did to us. And as a response to that, we live a life of, Of obedience and servanthood. Well, the first thing I see in this chapter is that they didn't welcome, the early Christians didn't welcome the false ideas or treat them lightly, but they opposed them. And you see that in verse two. Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. What did that look like? (laughs) You know, like Paul's like, what? What do you teach? What did you say? What did you tell our beloved baby Gentile converts? You know, can you see the mama bear coming out? You know, it's like, no, you will not do that. And he just, yeah, I mean, he kind of let them have it. But there was some debate that happened. And then they uh, took it another step further. And they, I won't read everything, but they uh, basically, um Went up to Jerusalem to talk to even you know like the bigger leaders. Uh, Peter was there, James was there, you know the, the heads of the church or whatever, and to try to figure this out and consider these matters. But even up there, so they were in Antioch, but they um, even in in Jerusalem, some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, "Here's the false doctrine again." So it's again, there's, now they're in Antioch, they're in Jerusalem, this, this kind of movement, this subtle false teaching that was troubling the Gentile believers. And they said this, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now this is just, a lot of the New Testament deals with this. We are not saved by keeping the law, right? Did any Jew for thousands of years was anyone able to keep the law perfectly so that they could qualify for the kingdom of God? No. no, nobody. That was the whole point. It was a tutor to show them the exceeding sinfulness of sin, to show them that, yeah, you can not do this. You need a savior. Yes. You need a Messiah to come and, and, and pay for your sins, yes. and your salvation will be a gift. So this was like sinister false doctrine. But I'm sure it was eloquent and packed Packaged with all kinds of Old Testament scriptures and new, you know, all everything was subtle and it was troubling people. Second thing I see in this chapter, the process of responding to the false doctrine involved lively debate amongst the leaders. And you'll see this in, in uh, verses 6 to 18. I'll just give you some highlights. Peter, uh, they, well basically they get together and they're, they're debating these things. They're considering these matters. It wasn't just like one person just made a statement or position. They worked on it together. I love that. Um, At one point, Peter gets up and says, God who knows the heart bore witness to them, speaking of the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, Jews and Gentiles, having cleansed their hearts by faith, not by circumcision. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of these Gentile disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Do you catch that? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. Says, And they also listened to Barnabas and Paul who kind of added to it and sort of confirmed that message. And then James got up and he spoke some things from the Old Testament that this was the plan from the beginning that God would spread this gospel all over the world to the Gentiles as a great gift. Third thing I see in this chapter, the collective wisdom of the leaders in in Jerusalem produced a firm yet sensitive position on how to respond to the false doctrine. Because they end up, here's what they end up saying. We'll write to them, we'll write to these uh, Gentile new Christians, and we'll say this. We'll tell them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. I'm not going to unpack all of that, but let's just, Suffice to say, what you need to know here is that these were some things that were really important to Jewish people and probably even Jewish Christians were still uncomfortable. Paul deals with this in a whole other portion of scripture, right? Eating meat sacrificed to idols, right? There's a whole chapter on that, right? Um, So this is a sensitive approach. Like, all right, Gentile Christians, like you're saved by grace. But when you're with Jews, just be sensitive. You know, maybe it's best to not eat meat sacrificed to idols. Not for your salvation. It's not a requirement of salvation. Salvation's a gift. We know that. But this is more of a cultural, this would be a good, this is where the compassion comes in, the sensitivity. You know, they didn't conclude like, Whatever these guys are, a bunch of bozos. Who cares? Let the Gentiles do whatever they want. Let them just, you know, pull out their beef teriyaki sticks or whatever it is, you know, and just like eat in front of the what a bacon, right? Just come with bacon. I don't know, like all that. Like, just can you just slow down? Like, didn't Paul say to the Jews, "I became a Jew," right? To reach the Jews, like there's there's some wisdom in in doing that. Um, What's a good example? So I'm going to hang out in a particular denomination that uh, has. You know, there, there's some strictness when it comes to like things like music or secular music and all that. And so, I'm going to hang out with them for a few days this week. And um, so, on occasion, I'll listen to like Pink Floyd, okay, or Led Zeppelin. All right, this is a confession. All right, <laughs> you know, if I'm in the, if I'm on a road trip and I'm like falling asleep, okay, give me some, give me something to to, like, you know, seize my mind. I'm not, I don't feed on it, but I would never show up at this minister's thing at this particular denomination wearing a dark side of the moon Pink Floyd T-shirt. All right? Is there anything wrong with wearing, maybe somebody has a Pink Floyd T-shirt on this morning? Whatever. No, it's, there's not. But it's just compassionate to, eh, Right. I'm not going to wear that, you know, because it's going to make people stumble. It's going to confuse people. Yes. So that's that's what they're doing here. They're just they're, they're saying, yes, we're saved by grace, not by getting circumcised or doing any of that. Amen. However, let's let's be sensitive yes. Gentiles when you're with the Jews. I think you guys get that. So the fourth thing I see in this is they didn't just decide quietly in their small circle of leaders, but they set about to communicate their position to the whole church in Antioch by crafting a letter, sending the letter with messengers who could explain it, and then following up by a season of teaching and preaching to further root the church in a clear understanding of the truth. And you can read that in verses 22 and 35, that they, they spent time there teaching and preaching, and they brought the letter personally, and I'm sure expounded on it and explained it, and just in, kind of not enforced it, but um, laid it out. You know, we're there to field questions and, and to kind of give theological basis for why they made this position um, a thing. Lastly, in, in chapter 15, We see this. There were other times, however, that debate led to agreeing to disagree. And you see this with uh, Barnabas and Paul in the last few verses. They basically, I'll just give you the paraphrase. They wanted to go, uh, ready to go out into the mission field. And Barnabas wanted to bring his cousin John Mark. And, you know, but Paul was like, "Eh, John Mark? Seriously? He left us. And I'm paraphrasing in a big way, but, but you can read this in earlier chapters. John Mark, like, took off. I think when they were, oh, I forgot, in the, maybe the Isle of Crete or some island. I can't remember where they were. But they were just out there doing missions, and we don't exactly know why. We don't. There's no information. But for some reason, John Mark was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going back. It was actually after, remember the story where, where Paul, like, smites Bar Jesus with blindness and then the governor of the island gets saved and believes. It was like that point. John Mark was like, okay, I'm just like, I don't know. This is too much. And he he took off. Well, at this point, Barnabas is like, all right, whatever. Give the guy a second chance. He's fine. He's my cousin. Paul's like, no way. Nope, not doing it. And they had a sharp disagreement over this. And to the point where they went their own separate ways. Uh, Paul took Silas. Barnabas took John Mark. And they... I mean, in the sovereignty of God, the work was doubled, right? Uh, so that, that's kind of cool. And I don't think they hated each other. It was just like, all right, whatever. Fine. You take John Mark. I love you. You're awesome. Go do the work of the gospel. I'm going this way. I don't think they were like, I hate you. You're an idiot. You know, I hope your ministry fails. <laughs> you know, I'll show you that I'm making the right. My ministry is going to be way more fruitful than yours. Like, I don't, That is not the heart of Paul or Barnabas at all. But they just couldn't, sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes ministers or Christians just hit a point and they they can't agree on stuff. All right, so what I want to end with here is some practical encouragements and I'm going to run through this fast, all right? So you guys still with me? Yes. I told you it's going to be a, a, a lengthy one, not lengthy, but like a lot here. It's a process, but I, I just really want to just boil this down and just give you the, all right. Because at this point, it's like, all right, this is happening. These false doctrines are happening right in our culture. They're very subtle. So how can we stand firm, right? How can we stand firm in the truth? You know, we live in a day when false forms of Christianity abound. Here's, here's some of the doctrines being diluted and twisted, or even, in some cases, eliminated in this generation around the topics of wrath, judgment, the deity of Christ, marriage, sexuality, gender, the necessity of holiness, the substitutionary atonement, salvation in Christ alone, and, of course, as in every generation, the inspiration of Scripture. Is this really the word of God? How can we stand firm against the onslaught of persuasive, anti-Jesus, anti-biblical ideas in our generation? All right, here they are. There's 10 of them. Don't treat false doctrine lightly and be careful not to let your compassion for people dull your discernment. And that's hard, especially for some of you. You're just so compassionate. You love everybody so much. Mercy. It's a special temptation for you. Mm, Number two, if you live holy and pure and fully devoted to truth, listen, you will see clearly who is like-minded. And you'll notice even when you talk with people, there's like a sweet fellowship, right? Because the spirit in you is connecting with the spirit in them. Number three, with doctrinal or conscience matters, debate, don't debate with people that are lukewarm, okay? Debate and like work it out with the most godly people that you know. Don't go to people that have half a heart for Jesus or one world, one foot in, one foot out, right? They're gonna, they're gonna bring more confusion, like if there's something that you're really trying to figure out, it seems, because again, these things are subtle. These things are hard to sometimes figure out. What, what is the right thing? What, is, what does the Bible say about these things? Look for the most godly people that you know. And not somebody who's been godly for like a week. Like seek out men and women of God that have been walking with the Lord for decades. And you can look at their life and it, it has bared fruit. Look to them because they're going to have wisdom. And I'm not even saying it has to be within one denomination. Go like just across denominations, fine. But look to the older and the wiser and the godly. Number four, walk in the spirit and learn to know God's voice. When you hear something off, mm. as you cultivate the listening to the voice of God, when you hear something that's off, mm. you, how many know this? You, you just get a weird feeling. Yes. Right, Rose? Yes, right? Yes. You just say, like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's strong enough, you might even feel sick. Yes, that's right. I, mean, I remember this one time when I was at Bible school, and this, this guy came in, again, one of these like charismatic crazy, not charismatic spiritually, because I'm charismatic, but just like, you know, like very gifted and flamboyant and the whole thing came through. And everybody was like, not everyone, but a lot of people were just getting caught up in this thing. And I am like just weeping, like in my seat, because this is so messed up what this person is speaking right now. That's the Holy Spirit inside of you that'll make you feel almost sick. Cultivate that. Pay attention to that. Number five, be aware of teaching, here it is, that is packaged in charisma, cleverness, wealth, success, and power. We can almost be drugged by these things, right? I mean, we oh wow, this guy's like, look at this church. It's like 10,000 people in this church. Like, look at this guy. He's like, what a, what a orator, right? I mean, didn't Paul have to deal with this? Like, Paul was like, you know, bald and short and this little, you know, didn't have a, you know, it's like, hello, I'm the Apostle Paul. Um, we're going we're gonna, to, I did write a little letter recently about the book of Romans, and we're going to, we're just going to talk about that for a while. Uh, probably, you know, talk all night long and somebody will fall out a window. Um, but, you know, here we go. And, and the, you know, so this is Paul, the greatest Christian maybe that ever lived, and he was dealing with these super apostles, as he called them, who were, back in the day, The rock stars were orators, right? And we have to be careful because we just get bamboozled by that or by power, by money, by big buildings. Well, look at this. It's like a college campus, this church. They must be doing something right. God must be blessing this ministry. No, maybe the devil is. We forget who owns this world. I know the, the Lord owns everything, but even Jesus said... You know, the kingdoms of this world, Satan rules them and can give what he wants to give out of them. Obviously, all under the sovereignty of God. Distill what you hear down to its essential theological substance so you can truly weigh it against the word of God. All right, six. Know the word. Don't just read it. Study it. All of it. Even if you hated school, you need to learn how to study the word of God. All of us do. From Genesis to Revelation. And learn the principles of interpretation so you can handle it properly. The more you know, the genuine, the easier, easier you'll be able to detect the counterfeit, right? Get so familiar with Peter. These are the writers of the New Testament. Luke, Paul, John. I mean, just get so familiar with their writings that you feel like you know them. That'll help. And then when you're listening to something, maybe it's a podcast, maybe it's some sermon that somebody sent you or you in some church somewhere, imagine them next to you. It's pretty easy. I can, I can imagine sometimes what Paul would say to a particular teaching. I don't even know if he would be able to stay in his seat or John. Get deeply familiar. So when you hear a false teaching, it'll be obvious. Be attuned, number seven, be attuned to doctrines held by saints, prophets, and martyrs for 2,000 years. Listen to me. It is highly unlikely that some clever new teacher in 2023 is going to discover a new interpretation of of the Bible that goes against 2,000 years of Orthodox Christian doctrine. Now, I understand there are some secondary issues and even great theologians differ on certain aspects of theology, of course. But if you really look at what serious Christians and Christians that have shed their blood for the message have believed, it's really the same. It hasn't changed, right? From Paul and Peter and John and passed down through the centuries to Luther to uh, Spurgeon to, I mean, you, you name it, right down to this very day. And it's, again, not one camp, one denomination. It's across different denominations, which leads me to my next thought. Feed on teachers Number, number eight, feed on teachers and authors across denominations that are marked by the Holy Spirit and possess moral conviction. My pastor in New York City used to call it the sound from heaven, like be, be listening for the sound from heaven. And you'll find that in Luther and Owen and Spurgeon and Edwards and Moody and Ravenhill and Piper and Carey and Booth and Hudson Taylor and John Wesley and Asbury and... Tim Keller and Francis Chan and many others yes. across denominations, across movements, reformed, not reformed, charismatic, sometimes not charismatic. Like you will hear a sound from heaven. Feed on those. Yes. I'm not saying don't read a novel once in a while, whatever. just You can read anything you want. But when it comes to like Christian material, I feel like we should be picky. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Why would we read stuff that is just fluff that has no moral conviction other than to tear it apart which I like to do sometimes yes, yeah, that's right. yeah I'm actually part of this blog and I just I'll read the and I'll be like nope <laughs> lame 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 thought lame thought you know and just like tear it apart because I want to I want to see what's being taught out there that's right. Come on. Um, but you have to just your are you're feeding of your spiritual life yeah. feed on the best Number nine, do not be influenced by the fact that the majority in this generation seem to be buying into certain anti-biblical ideas. The majority can be wrong, right? I mean, doesn't history bear this out? Yeah. How about Noah's day? Yeah. yeah. The majority. We're way off. And if you do feel like what the majority believes is important, then consider what the majority of godly men and women, that great cloud of witnesses, has believed for 2,000 years. And be willing to take on the reproach of Christ. Because that's where, it really, where, where the rubber hits the road, with holding on to ideas. We don't want to believe certain ideas because it's hard to fit into the culture. I mean, I, I was in kindergarten at one time. I want to fit in. Everybody wants to fit in. I mean, who doesn't want to be loved and liked? We all want to be loved and liked and accepted and kind of fit into the culture in the present moment. But as followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to take on the reproach of Christ. But if you are despised or looked down on or carry that reproach from, from the culture around you, or even from Christians, just know that the pleasure of God is on you. And listen, the sweet pleasure of God is so much greater. Yeah. Exceedingly greater than getting some kind of clap from secular people. Oh, you're the kind of church we've been waiting for. Yeah, right. You know, you've taken all the hard truths out of the Bible and you agree with our anti biblical views. So we we love you. Oh thanks. You know, and it makes us feel good for like a second. Who cares? Mm. Let's please God. Yes. Amen. Number ten, last one, don't think you are above being deceived. That's right. Ooh, Jesus, that's right. Yes. Come on. Yes. Just because you have been gifted with intelligence, that's right. or you know, you may be a strong Christian, knowing the truth is not a matter of the head only, but of the heart. Yes. The greatest false teachers and cult leaders. We're extraordinarily gifted and intelligent, right? The Bible says uh, when you stand firm, what? Take heed lest you fall, right? Because anybody is capable of being carried away by strange teachings. And I know, like, throughout, I've been a Christian for 33 years. I've had my, whoa, this is, like, cool. You know, like, the emerging church movement. And I, there was some really good and valuable things in that movement that I still hold to this day. Like, one of the things is, you know, kind of getting back to Jesus, friend of sinners, and really, you know, kind of connecting with people and not being afraid to engage the culture. There were some really good things. But then it, as, as the movement kind of grew, it was like, whoa, where, where is this going? It was just they were just questioning everything. They were deconstructing everything to the point that it just started to fall apart. But at the helm were some of the most gifted orators and authors really in the, in the whole Christian arena. And so I, I definitely was, you know strayed during some of those years into some of that. But thank God he brings us back to the simplicity of of the gospel. Amen, anyway, thanks for listening. I know this was a lot this morning. Amen. Like I said, it was just I just didn't want to just do a quick thing with this. I just it's so important. Uh, so let let's pray together and then we'll we'll just close out. Father, thank you for this time. Uh, This morning, Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Lord, I just ask for myself and for all of us here. Lord, keep us, uh, shield us, protect us, give us sharp discernment so that when we hear these things, whether in, you know, just spoken form uh, by eloquent speakers or just cleverly written, Lord, that something inside of us would just be able to see it for what it is. God, that we would have your eyes, that we would be led by your spirit, that we would feel even a measure of your grief inside of us. Uh, Lord, also, as we are sharpened in discernment, help us to not become uh, judgmental. Lord, we're called to, of course, judge in our hearts and and to kind of distinguish between what is good and what is evil, what is true and what is false, And yet, at the same time, Lord, help us to be um, full of love for people. That's why he says, speak the truth in love. And so, Lord, keep us, guard us. Let not one single person in this place today stray from the truth. Keep them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love you guys. Enjoy your lunch. (laughs)